Today on Media Download, from Montclair State University and WMSC-FM, the latest on technology. Digital privacy is a concern. Streaming is king. It's trending now. And media issues. Let's start with the presidential campaign. The frontrunner is firmly in the lead in every national poll. What's the press's responsibility? I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. And top business headline news. It's online streaming versus Hollywood. Curated by your host, Meryl Brown. Hello and welcome to Media Download. I'm Merrill Brown. Uh, it's uh, December fifteenth. Uh, we are hours from a presidential debate. Um, we're thrilled to be joined by Matt Katz, who I'll tell you more about in a minute. He is the preeminent journalistic authority in the world on the state of the campaign and governorship of Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey, the the state from which we speak. I am the director of the School of Communication and Media at Montclair State University. I'm joined by Matt, as I said, who works for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. He's covered New Jersey Governor Christie for five years, first for the Philadelphia Inquirer, where he created the Christie Chronicles blog, and now for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, where he runs the Christie Tracker, tweets at MattCats00, and appears weekly on WNYC's Christie Tracker podcast. His book, American Governor, Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption, publishes on January 19th, and there's an enormous interest in this book, especially as we're in a bit of a Christie moment. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Merrill. Thanks for the nice words. Um, So, Matt, uh, this is a Christie moment, at least defined by some fairly meaningful movement in the polls, particularly in New Hampshire, and because of what seems to be a mini-media frenzy about Christie's candidacy. What's going on here? I think this started maybe six weeks ago when the Huffington Post posted a video that they took of Christie speaking at a town hall meeting in New Hampshire. And in the video, Christie spoke about drug addiction, and he compared it to his mother's um, struggle in quitting smoking and talked about how there was no shame around his mother's struggles with smoking and cancer, but there is shame around drug addiction, and we need a new way of looking at it. And he espoused in pretty emotional terms this pretty compassionate view of uh, the drug problem in this country. And it was posted on a Friday night on Huffington Post's Facebook channel, and it got over 8 million views in very short order. And that sort of um, re-injected him into the conversation. It made him almost relevant again. After that, Paris happened, the attacks in Paris. And that refocused the race, and that was then followed by San Bernardino. Both of those things refocused the race on national security. Republicans now say national security is the biggest uh, uh, concern of theirs. And Christie has uh, among the best, if not the best, resume when it comes to um, national security. And that's because he used to be a U.S. attorney and had prosecuted terrorism cases, although there's controversy around the prosecutions. He did prosecute terrorism cases in the aftermath of September 11th in New Jersey. So he has this um, story to tell, uh, which has really um, attra- seemed to attract more crowds to his town hall meetings in New Hampshire. And that has, started to, that has led to endorsements, 
um, from elected officials in New Hampshire and most importantly from the biggest newspaper in New Hampshire, the Union Leader. And that has now led to an uptick in the polls. I mean, he's still far behind Trump, but for the first time in this race, he's in second place in New Hampshire. And he's hoping that that could propel him further. So, yes, he's definitely in a moment. And he also got back on the main stage uh, for the debate after being demoted to the kids' table uh, a few weeks ago. Now he's back on the main stage because his poll numbers have improved. So it's getting interesting. You've seen him, no doubt, on the stump in many settings. Um, who is the Chris Christie that you're seeing in New Hampshire compared to the one you've seen at town hall meetings in many different settings in his home state? The last town hall meeting I saw of his in New Hampshire was uh, about a week and a half ago, and it reminded me of 2011. Chris Christie. This was a uh, happy warrior who was creeping up in, the, in popularity, um, who was going after uh, unions with humor, public employee unions with humor and ferocity. Um, this was the Chris Christie that I saw at the town hall meeting a couple of weeks ago. He was funny. He had people um, laughing. He had people wiping tears from their eyes when he was talking about his mother on her deathbed. Uh, I, I see a guy who's really enjoying himself, um, unlike the guy who was kicking around New Jersey in the aftermath of Bridgegate in 2014, who was somebody who uh, was facing uh, very intense media scrutiny locally and nationally, uh, someone who was not so much having that much fun, who had stopped talking to the press. This is a, a kind of an old-school Christie. Um, he, there's no question that he enjoys himself out there, which can't be said for a lot of candidates, and I think it's something that, that – comes through and is a reason possibly for his uh, growing growing uh, popularity. But he lives two lives, doesn't he? Unpopular in New Jersey, where I'm sure at town meetings there's much discussion of the New Jersey economy, among other things. At a recent talk to business leaders, he was received rather negatively because he chided them for not being particularly aggressive in challenging both Democratic policies and labor unions. So he's combative and on the defensive in New Jersey and aggressive and warm and interesting in New Hampshire. Is that a fair assessment, and that must be a difficult role to play. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, he's at like a low 30s uh, favorability rating in New Jersey, and he's in, in the 60s in favorability rating in New Hampshire. Um, it's like a different person. It, it, um, it's either reflective of the fact or part of the reason why he spends um, almost all of his time in New Hampshire. He's only in New Jersey one or two days a week, and even then he's often uh, not in public and, and not you know, interacting with reporters and getting on the local news. Um, he, ex he explains this dichotomy as, you know, well, I'm not running in New Jersey right now. If I was out there campaigning and telling people all my accomplishments, then my numbers would be up in New Jersey. Um, the fact is, though, that there's a good deal of disappointment over him, uh, particularly among Republicans who thought that he was going to usher in a new conservative era in the state. And what Republicans have seen, according to polls, um, what, they're, what they're concerned about is that their property taxes have continued to go up, um, that 
there there is not any sort of like fundamental change in the way the state handles its finances and and then there there's the rest of the population which is concerned about other things that they that they see as problematic like you know our our road repairs in New Jersey for example um are in uh are in rough shape that there's a transportation trust fund that is nearly out of money that's supposed to be paying for road repairs uh that tolls to get into New York City have gone up on his watch. Um, that transit fares on New Jersey Transit have gone up. Um, there's a good deal of disappointment over him, and there's a sense that he um, isn't necessarily um, clean. Uh, Bridgegate really, really damaged his image and uh, of this guy who had come in as a crusading corruption fighter. And then Bridgegate happened, the lane closure scandal of the George Washington Bridge. And even though uh, he has not been cited for wrongdoing by by the uh, federal investigators, um, there's a sense of um, dirtiness that people have about him and his administration. And it is uh, quite a, a turnaround from where he was when he came into office as the guy who was supposed to clean up the state. What is, what is the likelihood, Matt, that we know everything we're going to know about Christie and Bridgegate at this point in time? We, we don't know everything, and we'll know more. We'll know more once the trial happens. There are two former uh, appointees of the governor, including um, his, his top guy at the Port Authority and his deputy chief of staff that are on trial. And there's another official that he appointed who is um, cooperating with the feds. Um, that's David Wildstein. He's the one cooperating with the feds. And he has said, through his lawyer, that their evidence exists that Christie knew about the lane closures. Now, that could come out, A, and B, the two other people who have pleaded guilty, Wildstein, um, I'm sorry, Wildstein pleaded guilty, so he's cooperating. Two others pleaded not guilty, and what they're going to try to do is, is say that this we weren't high enough on the food chain to make such a decision to close lanes to the busiest bridge in the world in order to punish a local mayor. And in order to say they weren't high enough on the food chain, they're going to have to um, present some evidence in some way that it was somebody like a boss, like the governor, or somebody closer to the governor. And that is going to I, – I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're going to know more about what um, he or his top aides may have known or may um, have I've heard about uh, conversations that may have been had. I mean, there's definitely going to be more um, smoke in this case. I don't necessarily know if he, uh, if, if it will tie in directly to his guilt. I mean, I think if he was guilty, he would have been charged. Um, but it can certainly lead uh, some to to doubt the explanation that, you know, him and his, his, the top echelons of his staff had no idea what was going on for three and a half months. So, Matt, you do often uh, challenge conventional wisdom about uh, Christie. Um, you, you just did in suggesting there's more that we in the public domain will know about his relationship to Bridgegate. Uh, and I think conventional wisdom, or the meme out at the moment, is that this is past him and we know everything there is to know. Uh, secondly, last uh, January, I guess it was, you and I were part of a public event here at Montclair State about Christie and his candidacy. And I think the vibe of the panel you sat on was largely this is going nowhere. And you said, and in fact, watch out for the comeback kid. Uh, so you you take on the conventional wisdom. You're often right. Why is that? And 
How were you right in January, and why were you so confident that his campaign would at least survive another day, another year, and into the spring, maybe? Well, I think those of us, and it's not just me, I think those of us who have followed him closely and seen him in, in person for years um, are have had a more accurate take on him than uh, necessarily the national media who you know pop in and pop out and don't see him on a daily basis. Uh, I, I've seen him win over too many crowds. I've seen how absolutely quick he is in front of a microphone, how talented of a communicator he is. Um, that I knew back in January that he would make up ground in terms of popularity among people. Um, he gets in front of a room at a firehouse in New Hampshire in front of 200 people, and people walk, not everybody, but enough people walk away believers. And people, I've talked to people on the way in, they're not sure who they're voting for, talk to them on the way out, and they're all in for Chris Christie. Um, the guy can, can make you laugh and cry in the space of a minute. Um, he is very adept at explaining complicated uh, topics in very you know, simple ways that uh, he, he, you, you relate to him. He talks about his family in ways that make you think that he's you know, your, your, your cousin sitting next to you at Thanksgiving dinner or the guy next to you at the airport bar or any sort of analogy that you may use about somebody who's relatable. That's Chris Christie. Um, there's no question that he's probably the most – I mean, the, the word normal is sometimes used. But, yeah, he's like the most normal guy in the field in that if you were to sit and uh, chat with him, he would just seem like another dude. And that's a quality that people, uh, other politicians, uh, I'm thinking of, you know, George, uh, Jeb Bush, certainly don't have. Um, so he's been in front of enough people in New Hampshire. He has worked his butt off hard enough in New Hampshire um, that he's literally won people over uh, one interaction at a time. And let's that's talk about why I thought back in January that he'd be more successful than the polls indicated at the time. Right. Well, well right again, Matt. Let's talk about your book briefly. We just have a few minutes left. First yeah. of all, how do you handle in your own head the conundrum that every author in your uh, situation faces? You're obviously neutral as a journalist, and yet you want to sell books. How do you roll that around in your mind when you're getting excited about the release of this major book? I want to sell. I want to sell books, but I don't want to. Uh, I want to be able to look myself in the mirror in the morning. Um, so I wrote the book as if I was writing a newspaper article for the Philadelphia Inquirer, or as if I was going on the radio at WNYC. I didn't um, write the book in order to uh, build sales. I wrote the book in order to. Um, you know, make make the uh, as many people as possible as interested as possible in the topic without you know bending bending the truth. Um, there are certain things I decisions I made in terms of um, I'm going to skip over that topic. Like I didn't, for example, get into the weeds on public employee pension reform because you know that's boring and nobody necessarily wants to read a book on that. Um, and I would which choose topics that were more uh, accessible to people. But, but, Matt, but um, Matt, I never Matt. took any cut any corners journalistically in order. To sell books. But you do want him in the campaign. I want him, it, if he's relevant <laughs> when the book comes out on January 19th, then that is certainly better for book sales. But if you were to read the book, um, you would see that this is not somebody who is uh, trying to plug his candidacy. Um, you know, there, there's certainly positives in there, in there but there's a lot of um, 
there's there's plenty of negatives, and I did not um, I didn't didn't gloss over some of the more difficult times of his administration for sure. So the the book will certainly inform political elites about who Christie is, his background, and so forth. There's no question about that in light of the depth and length of your reporting. Is there some way in which the book will affect the public debate in some way that you can acknowledge at this point? There, there's no. Um, smoking gun that's going to uh, change the dynamic of the uh, Republican presidential nomination, as as good as that might have been for book sales. Um, but depending on where things are and what topics are of most import at the time, um, I think there are pieces that can be pulled out and might be, and that, that the governor might be asked about. For example, I get into some of his terrorism prosecutions, and um, some uh, commentators might find some of his moves there uh, pretty commendable. Others might have questions about it. I mean, there there was there were accusations, for example, in one of his prosecutions, two of his prosecutions, that um, there were entrapment methods used. And I can see, um, I, I hope, in fact, that he might get some informed questions from the national media, from the uh, media interviews that he chooses to do down the stretch um, that are informed by the book and the new content in the book. Um, But I don't expect it's going to uh, make or break a presidential candidate. Well, good luck with the book, and we hope you'll be at Montclair State sometime in January to talk about it further. Uh, Thank you for joining us um, this afternoon. Um, It should be an interesting few weeks, uh, beginning with uh, the debate, but we've covered lots more than that, and I hope lots of people will be getting back to you and buying the book uh, in January when it when it comes out. So thank you for joining us, Matt. Thank you very much, Merle. Thanks for the opportunity. If you'd like more information about this episode of Media Download, you can email us at gm at wmscradio.com or call us at 973-655-3135. I'm Merrill Brown. Happy holidays and thanks for listening.